blessing. Thank you. <clears throat> well, Marlene and I want to thank you very, very much. It has been a real blessing to be here today. We rejoice in God's goodness to you and his goodness in working through you and impacting on others. We want to thank Roger and Pam for their uh, kind hospitality this afternoon. We probably robbed them from a little bit of a nap, so if you want to take one now, go ahead. <laughs> but uh, we do love you and your pastor and his dear wife very much, and his wonderful children as well, and grandchildren. And a little better even than that is he's a Bruins fan, he's a Celtics fan, and that's just about as best as you can get this side of heaven. Well, moving right along, would you take your Bible, please, and turn again to the book of Genesis? If you're not sure where that is, it's the very first book of the Bible. And uh, we were in chapter 12 this morning, and we are going to be in chapter 22 tonight. The crowds are still coming in, so... Again, if you'd like to take your Bible, we'll turn to Genesis chapter 22, and I'm going to read, and you can follow along in your scriptures, the first 14 verses. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, and he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him and on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together and Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abram said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. <clears throat> so they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abram built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's again bow our heads and our hearts and seek the favor of God. Our Father, we want to thank you for a wonderful day today. We rejoice in your creation in the fall season. We thank you for the sunshine and the good things that we've enjoyed. We thank you for the bounty of food. We thank you for good and dear friends and rich fellowship. And we thank you especially for Jesus we come here tonight to acknowledge that we have absolutely nothing going for us except Jesus and him crucified. And we want to learn how to live by faith. We want to learn to be the kind of people that bring you pleasure and joy and delight. We want to be the kind of people who are absolutely convinced that our God does all things well. And we want to be the kind of people who absolutely convinced that God provides all that we need in this life and in the life to come. We ask as we close out this day, it's easy to be a little tired and fatigued, easy to be even a little distracted, but we pray that the spirit who caused this word to be inspired and written would cause it to be understood, would cause it to be delighted in, and will cause it to be very personal to each one of us here. Work in us and have mercy on us. May we mix your word with faith. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, if you remember back this morning, does anybody vaguely remember there was a miss this morning? I think we do. And we were introduced to a fellow that most of us, I'm sure, have heard of before, and his name is Abram. And uh, Abram means mighty father. And uh, Abraham, Abram was called out of a very pagan culture, a very sinful world, and he was told to leave everything, his family, his friends, his fortune, his homeland, and everything, and just go by faith to a place that God would show him. And God made to Abraham an astounding promise. He's an old man now at 75. He's childless. And God promises that this land that he's going to, which is occupied by Canaanites, will become his inheritance. And God promises that his seed his offspring, his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren will inherit this land. 
God has made an amazing promise to him. It is a promise that he is to live by for the rest of his life. This promise is to inform all of his prayers. It is to inform all of his decisions. It is to guide him. It is to guard him. And he is to realize that God will fulfill this promise. All he must do is believe. All he must do is have faith. But then as we saw this morning, and we will see again tonight, as we will see again tonight, that God wants to test our faith. Because it's the most precious, it's the most valuable thing in the world. The faith that enables a sinner to trust in God and God alone for eternal life. Now, what God asks us to do is to believe his exceedingly great and precious promises. And those promises are yes and amen right on in Jesus Christ alone. God does not ask us to make the promises work. He does not ask us to figure it out, how it's going to work. He asks us to trust him, to believe him, to put our full faith in the faithfulness of God himself. Now, we saw this morning that our faith, because we are not only saved by faith, but we live by faith, that our faith must continually be tested, both to prove it's the real thing and to improve it. It must not only be genuine faith, but it must be growing faith. The Bible makes it very clear that there will be people, in fact, there will be many people on the judgment day who will claim to know Jesus Christ. And Jesus will say, you're not part of my kingdom. You're not part of the people that I have saved. And the evidence is that your life is characterized by disobedience. That's very sobering. And so God, in his kindness because we must have saving faith, and saving faith is not found in us, it's not found in the church, it's not found in our families, it is only found with God. And so God must test our faith to make sure it's the real thing. And we saw this morning that God uses two things to test our faith. One of those is, does anybody remember, it starts with P, Providence, the young lady there, very good. Yes, the providence of God. And, and what is God's providence? It is his working out of his purposes and his plans for his people. Now, his providence ultimately is going to be used by God to fulfill his promises. But his providence at times will seem like it is contrary to his promises. God promised Abraham two things, a place and a people. And we saw this morning that God sends a providence that he sovereignly controls to threaten the promise in terms of the place where Abraham was called to go. There was a severe famine in the land, a famine that would if God allowed it, it would be the means of Abram's death. We saw that when that test came, Abraham flunked pretty bad. 
He came up with his own strategy, his own plan. And of course, as he worked out this plan, he got himself into a worser and worser and worser mess. His wife is now going to be in someone else's harem. This thing looks awful bad and there's no way out of it except by God's providence. And God shows in his providence that he cares for his people, that he will deliver them, he will bring them out of even the messes they've got themselves into because he loves them and he cares for them and he is committed to them being conformed to the likeness of his son. Providence is a very interesting thing. It's kind of like when I was young and kind of sweet on a girl and you get one of these flowers and you pull the petals, you know, she loves me, she loves me not, she loves me not, she loves me not, <laughs> she loves me. And, and if we're not careful, we can kind of do that with our providence. Things are going great, so God loves me and cares about me. Things aren't going so great. So I wonder exactly what he's doing and does he really care and does he really love and is he really going to fulfill his promises? But we also saw this morning that God not only uses his providence to test our faith, to see if it's genuine and to see if it's growing, but God also uses his precepts, his words, his, his clear commands and instructions to his people. And we're confronted tonight with a very, very strange command from the Lord to this man who is now gone from Abraham, Abram, which means Ab is father, mighty father. Abraham means the father of many. Because God had promised him he would be the father of many. In fact, the whole earth will be blessed from the progeny that will come from the loins of this man, Abram. Now, what we want to do tonight is look at this, and it's very clear in verse 1, we're not making this stuff up, after these things, God tested Abraham. We want to see, first of all, the taking of the test. Any of you ever taken test? Yeah, yeah. The taking of the test, and then we want to see the testimonies that come out of the test. First of all, then, the taking of the test. Now, we're about 40 years later. Abraham was 75 when God called him. His wife was 65. And they have a child when Abraham is 100 and Sarai is 90. And obviously, he's a teenager now, this Isaac, and his name means joyful or laughter. Isn't that a wonderful name? And he's now about 15 or so, so it's about 40 years after Genesis chapter 12. And, uh, well, if you were to read the stuff in between 12 and 22, you would see that in many ways, Abram's life is a life of tests, of trials, of exams, 
of difficulties. And that's not to discourage us any more than the student or the scholar who is working through his or her academic career. Because it's crucial that we master the subject. It's crucial that we get this. The only thing that matters is do I have saving, living, vital, growing faith. This church can last for 2,000 years and be nothing. What it must be is a place where faith is exercised by the members, by those people in the fellowship, in the congregation, people who are believing God to keep his word, his promises to do the humanly impossible in a world that is ravaged by sin. This church is not a place to hide out. This isn't a place to escape. This is a place that we come so that we might be encouraged and refreshed and re-equipped so that we can go out again tomorrow into a world that is not a friend of grace but desperately needs grace. And we are to be light and we are to be salt. And then we gather, maybe midweek, whenever it might be, and next Lord's Day, so that again we can be refreshed and encouraged and re-equipped and strengthened as we pray for one another and pray with one another as we seek to go out again and make an impact. What we must all remember is what Abraham used to be. And that's what we used to be. We were lost sinners. And God came and he called us and drew us to himself and gave us exceedingly great and precious promises to believe. Promises that are literally out of this world. Now, the taking of the test. Verse 1 makes it very clear again that God is sovereign. After these things, God tested Abraham. My life is not determined by the stars. It's not the breaks. It's not how things seem to be going. I have a God who micromanages my life in such a way that I am truly human. I'm truly fully developed and involved and engaged in all that's going on. But I have a God who is intimately involved in every detail of my life. He put all my genes together, and I don't mean my Levi's. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and the world might say, well, how can you believe in a God that kind of can't even get a couple of hips to work right, or arms, or whatever it might be. But everybody is a masterpiece of God. Everyone is a person that God has in particular made for his glory and his pleasure. And we're to bow and we're to be humble and we're to love him and we're to rejoice in his goodness. Being absolutely convinced that if we live by faith, not perfectly, it doesn't just always go up, but if we live by a life of faith, we indeed will be people of the recipient of these amazing promises. Now, God comes to Abram. He's, like I say, um, he's about 115 years old. His son's about 15 years old. And he, he says, Abraham, and, and notice that these 40 years have been good years. 
Um, Abram hears the voice of God and recognizes it. He is a man who's been in communion with God. He knows him. There's an intimacy about their relationship. And, and, and God speaks to him and says, Abraham, and he immediately says, yes, here I am. And, and then he says in verse 2, Abraham, you know that promise has two things in it. I promised you a land, and I promised you a people. I promised you a seed. I promised you offspring. I promised you descendants. And Abraham would say, yes, I know. It's been a long time. It's been a struggle. Our faith has wavered at times. But the joy of our life is Isaac, is Isaac. And God says, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son you love, and go to the land of Moriah. Well, I'm sure they went on many trips together. But notice what it says. Go to Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Now, if you have ever tried to work through the book of Leviticus and there's all these offerings and this and that, and you have thanks offerings and wave offerings and all kinds. Well, the burnt offerings, very clear. It's not like a new bride's first major dinner. That isn't a burnt offering. <laughs> it is a burnt offering that means the entire thing that is sacrificed is literally burnt up and destroyed by the flames. Some of the offerings would be kind of cooked and the priest could eat some of the food. Even at times the person who's offering or sacrificing the, the animal could eat of it. But not a burnt offering. I want you to take your only son who you deeply love. I want you to take the person in which all of the promises of God hang on. And I want you to go to a mountain. I want you to build an altar. Abraham, you've been doing this for 40 years. And I want you to kill and burn and sacrifice the key component in the promise. We have four children. Two of them are sons, two are daughters. Um, we now have 11 grandchildren. I can't imagine doing that to any of our children. Abraham, I want you to take your only son, your beloved son, and I want you to sacrifice him. Well, how does he take the test? Look at verse 3. First of all, he gets up early the next morning. Do any of you know anything about getting up early? It's, it's an important life skill that you should learn. Obviously, there's no delay, there's no hesitation, there's no kind of diddling around and, you know, maybe I didn't hear the Lord right, maybe, uh, boy, maybe I should talk with some of the guys around here, maybe I should. He got up early the next morning, 
and he saddled his donkey. And in our language, what it means is he got the old pickup truck. And he cut enough wood to do a thorough job of producing a burnt offering. And he put it in the back of the pickup truck. He took two of the young fellas, and the four of them went off towards the place that God told him to go. That's pretty amazing. Aren't you impressed? In verse 4, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then in verse 5, and we must remember that the test is what? Faith. And the book of Hebrews tells us that by faith, Abraham took this test. Now look what he says in verse 5. Then Abraham said to the young man, the two guys with him, you guys stay here with the pickup. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship and we will come again to you. That's astounding. Abram's just been commanded to kill his only son who he loved. But Abraham was absolutely convinced that they would go up that mountain, they would carry out this wonderful act of worship, and they both would return. Now, why would he think that? Well, because God has made a promise, and God keeps his promise. Nothing or no one can keep him from keeping his promise. Not even the clear precepts and commands and orders of the word of God. Do you know how many commands are in the Bible for a Christian that seem absolutely stupid? Somebody steals from you, give them more. Somebody hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. Some, and it just goes on and on and on. You bless the people who curse you. you, you and, and, and you see, the commands that God gives to his people seem to contradict his promises. He promises what? Everything will be worked out for your good. Everything will be working together for your good. So how can a kick in the gut, how can a slap in the face, how can, and you just think of all of the things that the people of God have, been, have gone through down through history, and all those things God promises will work together for their good. What an amazing God. You know, in the Disney movies, we have the problem, don't we? It's white rats, it's pumpkins, it's wicked stepmothers, or whatever. But by the end, what happens is that, <clears throat> well, you know, the pumpkins turned into a gold chariot, the white rats are turned into beautiful white stallions, you kiss the frog and it turns into a handsome prince. And we kind of think that's what God is going to do in the gospel. But what he generally does is leave the rats a rat and the pumpkins pumpkins and he's going to bless us. And he's going to change us, and he's going to make us people who are less and less like ourselves and more and more like Jesus Christ. 
Absolutely astounding. In verse 5, Abraham takes this test by faith. Faith is in the promise of God. You see, what Abraham should have known in chapter 12 when the famine came, that he could not die until God fulfilled the promise. Isn't that wonderful to know? That famine looks severe, but God has made a promise that says you are going to have children. You're going to have biological children, and you ultimately, through your line and progeny, you're going to produce someone who will be the savior of the world. And do you know that Abraham was immortal, incapable of dying until that promise was fulfilled? Isn't that wonderful? And so, by faith, he says, we're going up to the mountain, we're going to carry out our act of worship, and we are coming back to you again. Now, verse 6, Abraham, they start uh, gathering up the stuff. He takes the wood that will be necessary for the burnt offering, and he gives that to his son Isaac. And Abraham spent 40 years sacrificing in the promised land. His son has seen him do it probably hundreds, if not thousands of times. And so Abraham hands him all the wood that would be necessary to burn him to death. And then Abram took in his hand, he took the fire and the knife the instruments that will carry out the death. Now, as they're traveling along, as they're going up the mountain, Isaac says to his father, Abraham, hey, Dad. And he says, yeah. He says, I, I, I see the fire. I see the flint. I, I see the wood. <laughs> but, you know, every other time we've come to worship the Lord, what else do we bring? A lamb, something to offer. And he says, but where is the lamb that we're going to use for a burnt offering? And Abraham says something that is amazing. He said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham's learned something in 40 years as he's been involved with God. It's not, not so much that he's learning you don't lie, or you don't steal, or you don't do this, or you don't do that. What he has learned is, if I can say it reverently, he has learned what makes God tick. And do you know what it is? It's grace. Do you know how Abraham knows that? <laughs> because he's messed up too many times. How in the world did he ever get out of Egypt alive? Can you imagine conning a pharaoh? And you're going to get out of town alive? And the whole Hagar thing, that was a schmazzle. All the different things that Abraham did, and what he saw was that Every one of those things deserved death, but he was still alive. 
If you're a believer for any length of time, you have to be amazed you're still alive because of what you profess and what you confess and then how your conduct seems to contradict that at times. And God is amazingly gracious, isn't he? This month I will be saved 57 years. Absolutely amazed. I was baptized on a hot August night in 1967 in Windsor. There were two boys, young men. I was 18, the other fellow was 18. We gave our testimonies that night. If you were at that baptism, you would say, the guy who's really gonna make it is Guy Lemieux. His testimony was amazing. Well, for a couple years, he stayed in the church. Then he started missing and he started, and you know what it's like, don't you? And the last we heard, he was back in drugs. He was shacked up with a girl. But I didn't. I went to Bible college. One of my good friends was a guy named Ravi Zacharias. There's no doubt who had the great promise. But it didn't turn out that way. And if you've been on the marathon road of the Christian life for any length of time, you know that when the gun went off, lots charged out, but here and there and over there and then, and they fell up by the wayside. Some you were kind of even wondering at the beginning, but others you say, I don't believe it. Him? Her? But you have nothing to be proud of because the difference between them and you is grace. The grace that saved me from me. And so Abram is able to talk to his son and he says, I, I, in these last 40 years, do you know what I learned? Whatever God requires from us, he provides for us. Well, they kept walking. <clears throat> in verse nine, they came to the place which God had told Abram. And Abram built an altar then he laid the wood in order. Like I say, he's done that thousands of times in the last 40 years. And then he tied up Isaac, his son, his only son, the son he loved, and he laid him on the altar. And then he reached into his belt and took out the, the sacrificial knife and he raised it to slit the throat of his son. No hesitation, no last minute prayer, no saying, boy, maybe I should text Sarah and see if we're doing the right thing. Absolutely astounding. 
And the knife is starting to come down near Isaac's throat, probably. And God speaks to Abraham. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord, and that very well may be Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus speaks from heaven. He says, Abraham, Abraham. And he says, I'm here, Lord. He says, don't you lay your hand on that boy or do anything to him. And then in verse 13, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him, isn't that wonderful, behind him, he didn't see the ram stuck in the thicket. He looks behind him and there is a sacrificial ram. And Abraham went and took the ram and had it sacrificed as a burnt offering in place of his son. You know, we can think that if we're really growing in grace, it will be primarily about us. But the real mark of whether we're growing in grace and whether we're growing in faith is that we're increasingly learning more and more and more and more about God. What kind of a God is this who makes exceedingly great and precious promises that are humanly impossible to be fulfilled and then he uses his providence and his word to test our faith? You know, if you're not a believer, this is one of the dumbest passages in the Bible. This is stupidity. But oh, if you're a believer, this, this is one of the great chapters in the Bible. Not only in Genesis, not only in the Old Testament, but in the entire Bible. It, it, it oozes, it reeks of Jesus, doesn't it? God will do this and no one will Stay his hand as he slaughters his son as a burnt offering. And you see, what Abram's learning by faith is that what motivates God and what makes God tick is he is amazingly gracious. And you see, the more and more that you see the grace of God in your life, the more and more you'll trust him. You say, wow, how could I have been such a bonehead there? But God was gracious. How could I do a thing like that? But look at how he intervened and worked things out. Oh, there's consequences. There's discipline. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And I'm glad for that. When our kids were younger, our son Dave sometimes would goof off in church. And when we got home... I would take him into our room and I would discipline him with gracious talking, with a firm spanking, with a hug and prayer. And Dave sometimes would say, Dad, how, how come you didn't do, you never yelled at Phil, you never yelled at Bob, you never, and I say, Dave, they're not my children. You're my son. And we may look around at the world and say, why in the world are they getting away with all this? And sadly, it's because they're not his kids. And then you look at his children and you say, boy, the Lord seems to put them through some pretty tough stuff, doesn't he? It's because he loves them. 
And whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, not so that I can mechanically, robotically do the right thing at the right time. Do you notice all the way through this passage, the intimacy between God and Abraham? This isn't a guy that's checking three things off his list that day that he did. Read his Bible, prayed, whatever. But he's a man who knows God. And that comes by experiencing the grace of God in your life over and over and over again. Because he came to you when you had nothing going for you and he made amazing promises that he will keep. Guaranteed. Now you've been very patient. Just two testimonies that come from this test. And, and see, the word testimony comes from test, doesn't it? Yeah. Because you want to hear it. Back when I was a kid in high school and public school, they weren't really worried about your self esteem. After every semester of exams, they sent to your parents your marks. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, they sent to your parents everybody in the class's marks. And if that wasn't bad enough, they underlined and read your name in case your parents were as dumb as you are. <laughs> so they could figure out, hey, yeah, this is your kid. And they could look geography and bang, 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 bang. And they could see you're 52. And then, you know, and, and we'd have graduation. And we'd go through and they hand us a piece of paper. And then they start calling the academic kids of the year and the citizens of the year and the athletes of the year and all these people. And boy, you'd think, this is terrible. I just want to get out of here because they passed the test. There's a testimony that God has about Abraham. Look at verse 12. Verse 11, Abraham, Abraham, I'm right here, Lord. He says, stop what you're doing. Put that knife down. For now I know that you fear God. No, it's not that God was puzzled. You know, whew, I'm so glad I was here that I saw this. But what he is saying is that the, the handling of this test from the time he heard of it to getting up early in the morning, loading up the donkey, going the three days to the mountains and all that stuff, he knows that this man feared God. Was he scared silly of God? No. He was in awe of God. He had a reverence for God. He was amazed that a God as holy as God is, who demands in his worship every day sacrifice, a substitutionary sacrifice that he put up with Abraham day after day, and week after week, and month after month, and year after year. And Abraham was in awe of a God like that. And he says, I know you're in awe of me. 
because when I speak to you, even when it seems to contradict the promises I made to you 40 years ago, you did it. You did not withhold your son, your only son from me. Do you know Isaac was the only link to the fulfillment of the promise? It wasn't Ishmael, they tried that route. Abraham later will have a bunch of other kids with a bunch of other wives, but it won't be those kids, only in Isaac. And then Isaac will have a son and then and Jacob will have a son, and Judah will have a son, and God will continually bring this down through history, and most of that history is going to be the sin and the foolishness and the unbelief of Israel. And finally, in the fullness of time, there will be a son who is born, and he will be the perfect son. He will never once sin. He'll never once hit his brother. He'll never once call his sister ugly. He'll never mouth off to his mother. He'll never grab the second piece of pie. He'll never cheat in an exam. He will never even think a dirty thought. And for 30 something years, he will do absolutely everything the precepts of God have told him to do, even the dying of himself. Because God has made amazing promises. And the providence of God and the precepts of God are coming together in such a way that we're constantly in awe and we're constantly thinking, boy, if we could only elect a good prime minister, if we only could do this, if we only had more money, if we... God says, I don't need any of that stuff. I make exceedingly great and precious promises and I need nothing or no one to fulfill them. I don't need the ideal circumstance. I chose a pagan who worshiped the moon to be the father of the faithful. That's Abram. And he sent his son and he withheld not even his only son that he loved so that he could die for Isaac. Isn't that amazing? And he could die for Abraham and die for Sarah and die for people all down through history who have nothing going for them but Jesus Christ. Now, that's God's testimony about Abram. What would he say about you if you were to have an interview tonight? Oh, I know, Don. That man fears the Lord. He is in awe of the reverence and the grace and the kindness and the goodness and the patience and the forbearance and the holiness of God. I know Don. He will do whatever the word of God tells him to do, even if it's going to be the death of him. But there's a second testimony. We, don't, we aren't intended to be in awe of Abraham. <laughs> this chapter, the book of Genesis, the Bible, is not about great people. There's only one hero, and his name is the Lord. Look what Abraham says in verse 14. So Abraham called that, the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And, and to this very day, when they wrote Genesis chapter 22, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be 
provided. Do you know where Moriah was? It's in Jerusalem area. Uh, if you check in Chronicles, you'll see <clears throat> Solomon built his temple there. And it was there that our Lord was crucified. You know what Abraham's testimony about the Lord is? Everything that he requires from me, he provides for me. Do you know what he requires of me? Perfect righteousness. And that includes perfect faith. There is only one person who is perfectly righteous and perfectly believing. And that was God's son, his only son, the son he loved. And the Bible says, if you don't sin, you will have eternal life. And he never sinned, and yet he died because he purchased eternal life for all who come with their hands up and thrust down, patted down, and you're not trusting in anything of your own but Jesus and him crucified. As you go into your third year as a church, what people should say is this is a church where they're absolutely convinced the Lord provides. All that we need to get through the, the maze, to navigate the mess of this world, he provides everything because he's provided his son. And there's a day coming when the trumpets will blare and the angels will shout and every dead person who has ever lived since Adam and Eve will come from the grave. And those who are good, no. Those who are righteous, not really. But those who are holding on to Jesus for dear life, they will live with Jesus forever and ever. And they will be like Jesus forever and ever. What a gospel. And all the way back here in Genesis chapter 2. So as you think about the precepts of God, the word of God, as you think about the providence of God, the workings of God, always line them up with the promises of God. What God says he'll do, he'll do. And he will use providence and the word to accomplish it. Amen? Amen. Thanks. <laughs>